Well, the last several weeks, we've been talking about all the different Christian cliches and Christian-y sayings that we have a tendency to use uh, throughout our lives and throughout our days. Um, and many of these sayings can, can hold a sincere meaning to the one offering encouragement. We want to come alongside of people and we want to encourage and uplift people. So we have a tendency to throw out these little catchy sayings to try and be helpful. But the unfortunate reality is all too often these sayings fall a bit, a bit flat and really bringing reassurance or inspiration to the recipient. Sometimes they accomplish what they, they set out to do, but all too often we, we maybe miss it. You know, we've all got to admit, though, that we've used these catchy sayings, these phrases, a time or two, and our, our goal has been to understand and really to pull back, understand the meaning behind these, these phrases and the roots of these one-liners, whether they have a biblical foundation or not, and how perhaps we can find some value in these age-old sayings that we tend to throw around. Today we're going to dig into yet another commonly used and at times probably even misused or even abused phrase. It is the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. You ever been going through your day and something crazy happens, you know, maybe a, a you know, a, a devastating thing happens in somebody's life, and, and you just say, you know what, just hang in there. Everything happens for a reason. You know, if, if the thing happened to you and somebody utters that phrase to you, sometimes you maybe kind of find yourself kind of raising your hands up like this in a manner that's maybe not as Christ-like to, to want to maybe close their mouth and maybe even their windpipe. We've all been there. We've all engaged that saying and offered it up and perhaps even been on the receiving end of it. You know, while this phrase all too often is used to comfort or encourage someone in the midst of a difficult situation, there are many times this saying is just not suitable. It can even be downright confusing and hurtful to people. We can probably all recall a time when we were walking through a, a difficulty or walking with someone through a devastation only to have someone offer lovingly. Everything happens for a reason. Just have faith and it'll all be okay. I'm praying for you. And it's probably, maybe, not what needed to be heard. We have to ask ourselves, one more time, why is it that we find it easier to utter this type of a response as opposed to just sitting with someone to listen or to cry or to get angry? You know, there's times uh, my amazing wife, Gretchen, we've been married now for almost 23 years. In the first service, our daughter clapped for that, which is, I guess, the I guess appropriate response. But thank you, Carly. I wasn't, I was, I, I promise I wasn't, anyways. But every once in a while, Gretchen will come home from a, a hard day at work, and she'll start unpacking the day. Oh, yeah, I was in, the, in this classroom, and this kid was just, you know, causing, you know, causing trouble, and was the behavior, and this, and that, and the other thing. And I had this interaction with a coworker, and it was just really frustrating, and this meeting, and, it, and of course, as a great husband, I begin to go into fix mode. Well, you should probably have a conversation with that kid, and this is what you should say. And, you know, with your coworker, maybe you should just have a little side conversation to help them understand. And she goes, can you just be mad with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that. That's all you needed. Sometimes we just need somebody to cry with us, to be angry with us, to come alongside of us. I believe we often are trying to provide comfort. But more than that, we, we're trying to provide some sort of explanation to a situation when really, at the end of the day, there is none. There is no explanation. You know, there's two things in life that, that we as humans don't particularly like. Silence and mystery. Unless it's in a 
you know, movie or in a book, and we tend to like it. But we most certainly can't stand a mysterious silence. There was a period in my life where I could not do silence and solitude. I'd rather you throw a baseball and hit me in the face than have to endure silence. Because I'm kind of an extrovert, in case you hadn't figured that out, and I like to be around people. So the idea, the idea of being alone or being caught in silence is not something I wanted. And yet I came to find the rich communion that can be found in those settings. So when we're faced with a difficult situation that really has no real explanation, we tend to want to cut through the mystery and the silence by saying something that we hope will be helpful. Like, everything has a reason. When we offer that type of a cliche, it provides a a temporary answer to the mystery and potentially a a way out of a difficult conversation. Because now all of a sudden we're faced with something for which we don't have an answer or an explanation. We don't know what to do. We also tend to see great value in this saying when something unexpected happens. Striving to explain the deeper meaning of a situation or circumstance. You're running late for an appointment and you get all green lights. Everything happens for a reason. Yes. Green lights all the way through. You run back to the house and grab the coffee that you left on the counter only to witness an accident a few cars ahead of you on the way to work and you realize that could have been you. Everything happens for a reason. Of course, all the students' favorite. You spend too much time gaming and hanging out with friends and you don't finish your homework only to wake up Monday morning to a snow day. Everything happens for a reason. You know, a number of years back when we were living up in southwest Portland, our son Micah, who's 19, I think he was 16 or 17 at the time, he was getting ready to go to to school, and we were living in Sherwood, and they were going to school in Tualatin, and so he's driving over to Tualatin on this windy road, Tonquin Road, and he was supposed to have taken his sister with him. They were going over early to work out before school, and Leah was supposed to be with him. He's driving our little Nissan Cube over there. And as, as, you know, he did typically, he had a little snack that he was chomping on as he was driving, and he dropped his crackers on the floor and kind of knelt down to get them, and the steering wheel went to the right, and he went off the road and right into a tree. We're so grateful that God was watching over him and protecting him, but the whole right side of the vehicle was smashed in, right where Leah would have been sitting had she on with him. Of course, we reflected back and thought everything happens for a reason. We find ourselves praising God and saying everything happens for a reason in those moments, but does it? Does everything happen for a reason? Because we can all likely agree that some things happen for a reason, but other things happen for no reason. No reason at all. Science can bring an explanation for a a hurricane or an earthquake or a natural disaster. And medicine can can provide an explanation for a brain tumor or or a, a diagnosis of diabetes. But there's no reason for them. Nothing that we can say that will explain the the why behind tragedies occurring, hardship coming to our lives. So we say everything happens for a reason, hoping that that provides some level of comfort to those with whom we're sitting. The difficulty is that phrase is not found anywhere in the Bible, much like many of the phrases that we've been discussing over the past several weeks. But the most commonly accepted source for this saying is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's our text for the day. We're going to go there. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. If you don't, our scripture references and notes are found on the YouVersion Bible app. You can just navigate to events, and look for Neighborhood Church, and you'll find us. But in Romans 8, verse 28, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. 
And he says, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We're going to come back to that text here in just a moment, but would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, and we thank you that you've created us with a plan and a purpose. We know, Father, there are many times in life where we see things happen in the world. We experience trials and hardships and devastation, and it doesn't make sense. And we want to understand the why. We want to know the reason. And the reality is there is no reason. But Father, we pray that you'd help us to trust you in these moments. We pray that you would help us to lean into your love and your grace and your mercy. And in the midst of whatever we're going through, that you would help us to sense your presence and your peace. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word today and that you'd awaken our hearts to what you're desiring to do in and through our lives. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, since the beginning of time, we've strived to understand the why. We've wanted to understand in situations, why did that happen? Why did that happen to me? Why did that happen to the other person? Why did they get this and I got that? We want to know why. You know, even Jesus' disciples found themselves wanting to know why in different situations. In John chapter 9, verse 1, the disciples are walking along with Jesus and it says, as he went along, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why? Why is he, why is he blind? There's got to be an explanation. There's got to be a reason. And yet Jesus says it was that my father would be glorified through his hardship. Everything happens for a reason. Come on, say it with me. Everything happens for a reason. Doesn't it just feel good? It's like, a, it's like an emotional hug. You know, it just makes you feel good. You, you want to stitch it on a pillow and be like, see, isn't this just great? In the midst of a crazy and confusing circumstance, we could all just say everything happens for a reason. But Pastor Corey Wilcoxon speaks of this saying, and this is what he says. Everything happens for a reason. It's not even spiritual. It's more mystical, pointing towards something greater than our understanding. But if you think about it, that statement doesn't say anything. Why did it happen? Who made it happen? What's the reason behind it? It's the quasi-spiritual version of saying, oh, well, and really, truly, it is. When we don't know what else to say, we say, well, everything happens for a reason. The implications, of course, that God is behind every situation and has a reason and a purpose for it. That tends to make sense when the outcome of the situation is a good one. But when the same saying is applied tragedy strikes, we tend to put the loving, merciful God who will never leave us or forsake us in a pretty tough spot. Let's go back to our text and see if we can figure out how we can get from Romans 8 to somehow everything happens for a reason. I want to look at a series of translations to help us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in the King James Version, this would be the, the first original English text that Scripture was translated into. And some believe the only text it should have been translated into. But there is rich tradition in a lot of the different translations. But Romans, chap Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in the King James Version says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Okay, we're tracking. It all sounds pretty good. What about if we look at the new revised standard version? 
We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Not much different. We're all moving along. What if we go to the New Living Translation? Check this one out. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What did we hear there? God's God's role in this whole thing becomes a little bit clearer. We know that God causes everything to work together. God's role in all things, good and bad, is that he causes them. But are we taking that out of context a little bit? Let's go back to the NIV. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's this wonderful little tiny two-letter preposition that changes the whole context. In. We know that in all things. You know, as we dig into this text, there's some helpful truths to be found. The first one is this. In all things, God is working. In all things, God is working. No matter what is going on in life, no matter what we face, in all things, God is working. You know, it's important that we start with an understanding that while God allows things to happen, he does not cause them to. When bad things happen in this world, God may allow them to happen, but it's not he who's causing them to. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We've established in the past few weeks that evil exists in the world and there are bad things that happen for no reason at all. We've seen some of them happen just in the past several months. Devastating earthquakes, horrific hurricanes, devastation. We just spent time reminding ourselves and remembering those who were lost in the horrific events of 9-11. There are things that happen in this world that have no explanation. And if we're not careful, we can fall prey to the temptation of looking to God when something senseless happens. Saying, where are you, God? Why didn't you show up? Why did you let this happen? Why did you make this happen? And certainly we can see the judgment of God as a consequence of actions and decisions, but we can't blame God. There are decisions that we make in life that have a consequence. It doesn't mean that God caused those things to happen. I want to look at a couple different examples in Scripture of cause and effect. Decision, consequence. You know, Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for a number of years. And as God began to call them out of Egypt and and called Moses to lead them out of Egypt, he said, I'm taking you out of this place to a place that I've promised you. It's a land of milk and honey. It's this wonderful place God had made for his people. And so they get out of Egypt. They're delivered from Pharaoh. And they come out of Egypt and they're, they're going to pursue the promised land. And they send out the 12 spies. And they go into the land and they scope it all out. And here's the report they bring back in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Did you hear what they said? We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Not that they saw us as grasshoppers. That was later. 
We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We're weak. They're not. This is not a good idea. We should go do something else. And they abandoned ship. We all know the story. And they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. There was a consequence to the decision that they made. Did God cause them to say, we can't do this? No. It was there. The promise was right in front of them. God had said, I will be with you. And then we know the the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar has has erected this 90-foot statue of himself, and he's telling everybody, bow down and worship. We pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. It says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. Oh, I'm sorry. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. They made a decision that they would only worship God, the one true God. And what was the outcome? God not only delivered them, in the midst of the fiery furnace, but there was a fourth in the fire with them. One that many believe was was Jesus. Cause and effect. Decision, outcome. So what does our response look like when we face adversity? Are we like the spies who say, we can't do it, no, this is not a good idea. Abandon ship, go, you know, retreat, retreat, retreat. Or we say, do we say, even God, if you don't deliver me from this situation, I'm going to continue to worship you. I'm going to continue to follow you. Maybe a better question is, how do we respond when others face hardship? Is it, oh gosh, there's got to be a, a catchy phrase I can throw out you know, to make this whole situation better. In the face of good things and bad, We can choose to embrace that God is faithfully at work in the situation. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. We may not know exactly what's going on in the midst of a trial. We may not even be able to see a way through it. And yet God is in the midst of it. He's with us and he's working We can't get too caught up in only what we have or what we can see. We see this level of trust repeatedly in Scripture. Moses was was one of those people who didn't see how it was all going to play out, but he obeyed. When he faced off with Pharaoh, what what did he have in his hand? He stood up and he had a big flaming, you know, samurai sword that he was wielding and swinging around and telling everybody, don't mess with my God or you're going to get it. No. He had a shepherd's staff. Super manly shepherd's staff. Might even have one of the little cricks on it. That was what Moses had in his hand. What about David when he decided to tangle with Goliath? What did, what did he have? A little sling and some rocks from the creek. Can you imagine going up against that nine-foot-tall bully? I got my little wrist rocket. This is not going to go well for you. You might want to just back off now. Leave me and my friends alone. What about Gideon? Here's Gideon. God's pared down his army from thousands to 300. That's got to be exciting. And Gideon goes to face an army of 135,000 people. And what did he and his 300 soldiers, his band of merry men, what did they have in their hands? You guessed it. 
trumpets and torches. Because in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the hardship, God was with them. And it didn't matter what they had in their hands. God was going to show up. The reality is whether God causes a situation to occur or allows it to happen, he is at work in all of it. Every aspect, every moment, every detail of your life, he's intimately involved with. The question remains, will we choose to trust him in the midst of it all? We've got to be reminded daily that in all things God is working. The second truth is this. No matter life's outcomes, God is present. No matter what happens in your life, God is present. As we mentioned before, we we often find ourselves striving to understand the why behind situations of life. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did you take this person from me? Why did you allow this hardship to show up on my front door? And we tend to grapple with this temptation to paint everything as God's will. But is everything really God's will? Is it God's will for you to be, you know, walking down the stairs and miss the last step and twist your ankle? I don't think so. Is it God's will to be walking through the garden without your shoes on and you stub your toe? No. Or maybe more importantly, is it God's will for a life to be lost in a drunk driving accident? Is it God's will for a long-awaited pregnancy to end in a stillborn baby? Is it God's will for a child to be born out as a, out of a, as a consequence of a one-night stand? These are tough questions. Gretchen and I had the privilege to be over at the options Pregnancy Resource Center dessert banquet a couple weeks ago. And a young lady by the name of Megan shared her story of going through a one-time interaction with somebody who she would never see again, becoming pregnant and wanting to get rid of the problem. And God drew her somehow to options. She was able to go in and, and receive an ultrasound and see the baby's heartbeat and be given prenatal vitamins. And all of a sudden, it changed for her and she wanted to keep the child and put it up for adoption. And now she has this amazing adoptive family that's adopted her daughter and she has an open adoption and she can see her, her daughter and spend time with her. And in everything, God is present. I think we can all agree that these and other situations we face in life are not part of God's will for our lives, for people to get sick and die, for people to go through unbelievably difficult situations. What about in Scripture? We see things happen in Scripture that don't make sense. Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God, and and God rejects Cain's offering because he doesn't give his best and his first. And what does Cain do? He gets ticked off and he murders his brother. I think that was God's will. And David, he's out on his balcony enjoying his kingdom when the army's off in battle. Bathsheba's bathing. He sees her, calls out to her. He commits adultery with her. Is that God's will for David or for Bathsheba? God doesn't cause these things to happen, but he allows them. He allows them. But God wants us to know also that it doesn't matter why something happened, he's present in the challenge and brings us more and more into his will through some of these difficulties. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 it says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion to the day of Christ Jesus. See, you're not an accident. God, 
created you with a plan and a purpose, and he's perfecting and he's bringing you through life and perfecting his purpose in you each and every day and through each and every situation. So in the midst of whatever you're facing, God is present. We have a choice when we face the difficulties of life, either to blame God or acknowledge his presence and purpose in the midst of it. And that he can still accomplish his perfect will in our lives through the stuff that we go through. We can't ever forget that in all things, God is working. And no matter what you're facing in life, he's present. He's with you. The final thought is this. God works for good in all things and through all things. You know, every one of us knows that difficulties of life are not an if, they're a when. Right? Have you ever been in a season of life where things are just going too good and you're like, just wait, something bad's about to happen. All you pessimists in the room are just like, I'm not going to nod. Pessimists who disguise themselves as realists, you know. And you like to rain on all of us optimists parade. Thanks a lot. But the question becomes, do we believe Romans 8.28? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Because it's important that we embrace that scripture in context and maybe grab hold of the background that's found in an earlier chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, a little earlier in that chapter, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Did you hear that? If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. We're heirs of everything that he promised to us. If we share in his sufferings. You know, Jesus didn't show up on the scene. And he's like, all right, you guys beat and flogged me. I'm done. I'm good. I'm not doing that cross thing. Like, this is ridiculous. No, he went to the cross and he endured it for us, for you and for me, so that we wouldn't have to experience that. But it doesn't mean that hardship is removed from us. No, what, what can we extrapolate from this scripture? As followers of Jesus, we're going to suffer. You're welcome. Be encouraged. Jesus said it himself. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So in the midst of difficulty that's going to happen, we should be encouraged that God is in it and he's working through it. You know, that suffering is not always part of God's perfect will or plan for us. Sometimes our suffering is just a consequence of our stupidity. It's self-inflicted. We make a decision, not a wise decision, and stuff happens. Sometimes the difficulties we face in life are just because we live in an evil world. And there are people who are filled with hatred because they don't know the love of God. They don't understand what it means to be forgiven. And so people do horrible things to one another. When we lean into everything happens for a reason, we will be more likely to blame God for things that he's not responsible for. God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you bring this to my doorstep? But God doesn't cause people to sin. He doesn't cause you to close your finger in the car door and then, you know, say, God, bless it. He doesn't bring that Facebook marketplace or eBay scammer to your doorstep. There's just bad things that happen. 
we can be confident, even in the most difficult of circumstances, God is in it with you and will eventually bring about good through it. You may not see it the same day. You may not see it in the same season. There's something to be said of reflecting back on what God has brought us through. You know, there was a, there's been two Nissan Cubes that have been part of the Clements family in the past 15 years. I decided to chuck one off of the side of Highway 20 to test its durability. And I shared before that my son, Micah, totaled our other one. But I can remember the day like it was yesterday when I had just gotten done umpiring down at Oregon State and I was coming back on Highway 20 heading north. And it happened to be the same day that Oregon State had had their commencement. And so there's a lot of traffic on Highway 20 going both directions. And of course, I was driving around this corner at 55 miles an hour. And I was just eyes closed with my arms lifted high, praising Jesus. Or maybe I was on my phone changing the song and looking down. And I came around the blind corner, right where the nursery's at. Everybody knows that spot. I come, come around and traffic stopped because on the blessed highway that is 20, there's two lanes of traffic. If somebody's trying to turn into the nursery, traffic has stopped. Traffic was stopped. And I was going 55 miles an hour. So I slammed on my brakes and I'm skidding and I'm looking at this car in front of me and the five cars in front of it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to hit them at about 30, 40 miles an hour. This is not going to be good for them or me. So I thought split second because I'm a pretty, you know, pretty spry guy. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and miss them. And so I did. I swerved and I, I clipped their back bumper, went off the highway, hit a telephone pole. Thankfully, my, my seatbelt was already locked out. So I just got a little love tap from the airbag on the nose. It shot me back 10 feet, and I said, praise Jesus, we are all done, and I'm good. Right as the car started to slide. And then it slid about 10 feet and then started barrel rolling down about a 100-foot embankment. And I remember thinking to myself as I was holding with the death grip onto the steering wheel, after about two revolutions, I thought, well, God, this, this might be it. And I let go of the steering wheel, and I kind of curled up in a little ball and just kind of surrendered to whatever was going to happen next. Do you think God caused that situation to happen? No. But in the midst of that, God saw fit to protect me as I rolled down the hill and came to set on all four tires with Coldplay ringing out in my speakers and the car still on. I turned the car off and jumped out and I patted myself down and realized I was still here. Certainly God was able to help me understand there's some things I needed to change. And he also reminded me of the importance of understanding that each day is a gift. But we can fall prey to looking at the situations of life and saying, God caused this to happen. It's his fault. But we can be confident that God is working in and through the most difficult of situations. Perhaps you've lived through an unthinkable tragedy, a, a cancer diagnosis, an impossible financial season. Perhaps you're walking through it right now. As we allow God to work in our situations to bring good through them, guess what happens? We will possess a life-giving testimony, a story that we can share with somebody who's walking through a similar situation, who's being devastated right now by something that we don't have the answer for, that we don't have an explanation to give. Let's go back to David's decision. David looks out. There's Bathsheba. She's beautiful. Bring her to me. Commits adultery. 
that's not enough. He wants to cover it up. So send her husband out to the front lines and then draw everybody back. He's killed in action. So now he's a murderer. Of course, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. It just gets better and better. You can't write a soap opera that, that looks better than this. And he tries to cover things up and cover things up and cover things up until Nathan shows up, the prophet Nathan shows up and calls him out. He said, you're, you're the one. And he repents and he humbles himself before the Lord. But they still lose the child. It's a consequence of their sin. They lose that child. And it looks pretty miserable. And yet God's story of David's life wasn't over. The man after God's own heart. God gives David and Bathsheba a second son. You know his name? Solomon. He happens to be one of the most well-known kings of Israel. And the wisest king in the Bible. And Solomon had his own fair share of issues, but who of us hasn't? And in the midst of a horrible series of decisions and events, God sees fit to work good in and through David's situation. You know, we may not see what God was able to do in and through our situation until much later in life. It means that we have to trust him in the midst of some difficult stuff. Understanding that God is in it with us will bring us through it and that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. The truth is no matter what the situation God is working, he's working for you and he's working for me. And he's desiring to fulfill his perfect plan and purpose. But we have to remember that he's working, that he's in the situation with us, he's present. And finally, that he's working all things for you and for me. You know, the reality is life is hard. Good and bad things happen. We all mess up, make poor decisions. We sin and we fall short of God's glory and his plan for our lives. And at the end of the day, if we're honest, we're all broken and imperfect and do things we would just assume forget. Forget we've ever done, forget have ever happened. Not everything we've done or was done to us has a reason. You're just not going to be able to explain some things, no matter how hard we try. But God can take that which was done and make it have a reason. Whatever was done to you, whatever you did to yourself, God can take that and he can make a reason. He can bring a purpose. He can take what's messed up and he can make it valuable. The question is, are we willing to give those things to him today? Better yet, are we willing to give him ourselves? Would you pray with me? Father God, in, in life's difficult moments, in, in the hardships and the difficulties that we face, our tendency at times is to want to look to you and say, where are you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this to me? Sometimes we find ourselves alongside of somebody who's walking through the most horrific of situations. And we find ourselves in that moment ill-equipped to encourage. Because there is no reason. There's no explanation. But Father God, we thank you that no matter what we face in life, no matter what we are walking through, you are in the situation with us. 
that in all things you are working for the good of those who love you. So, Father, we choose to trust you today. We choose to stand in the midst of the fire and see, even if I'm not delivered, I'm not going to bow. Even if you don't save me, I'm going to still worship you. Father, we pray that you would give us that kind of strength, that kind of boldness, that kind of courage. Not just so you can carry us through the situations of life and the difficulties that we face, but God, that we would be able to be a testimony to those who are facing similar things. We're so grateful that we don't have to do it alone, that you're with us, that you're present no matter what we face in life. And that you're working in all things and through all things to bring about your perfect plan. God, we thank you today that you love us that much, that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, you don't leave us on our own to figure it out, but you walk with us and you're present in every moment of every day. Oh, that we would acknowledge your presence we would rest in your purpose. Help us, Father, we ask. And perhaps the day you are sitting here and you are saying, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've been in the midst of the worst time of my life and had somebody say to me, everything happens for a reason. Just let go and let God. It'll all be Okay. Maybe it wasn't okay. And you found yourself wanting to just disassociate yourself and distance yourself as much as you could from religion or God or church or anything that looked like it. Somehow you made your way here today. Or perhaps you're watching online. And God is saying to you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not an accident, you're not a mistake. You're at that moment of saying, I want to understand what it means to be able to walk through a difficult situation and still have hope and still have peace and still have joy. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10.9, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. It seems simple, but it's a profound act of surrender when we say, God, I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I want to surrender control of my life, all the stuff that I'm wandering through, all the difficulty that I face, all the plans and dreams and desires that I have. I give them to you. But we believe it's the greatest decision that you can make. It's to say yes to God. And be willing to step into relationship with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to give you that opportunity. We're going to say a simple prayer. There's no magic in the words. But like we said before, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be brought into relationship with Father God. You'll experience a hope that surpasses any understanding amidst the situations. Will life be easy? No. But in the midst of that, you'll know there's purpose. So we're going to say this prayer today as a church family. We would invite you to say this prayer with us. Can we say this today? Church, say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. It's the greatest decision we can make to choose to follow Jesus. It takes us from a place of asking why to say, God, I trust you. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I trust you in it. So as we go through our week and as we experience good times and bad, as we experience highs and lows, know that God is working in all things for you and for me. That we can celebrate that as we navigate through the hardship, God is going to have something great for us on the other side. This morning, we're grateful you've made the decision. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, we have connection cards. We'd love to hear from you. Just put your name on there and say, check the box. I decided to follow Jesus. And if you could put it in the box, we'd love to reach out to you, get you a Bible, help you as you take your next steps, perhaps to be baptized in water here in the coming months. We also have our prayer partners available to you. If you have a need this morning, you'd like somebody to agree with you in prayer, our prayer team is here for you, and they'd love to believe in prayer with you for that need. If you're online and you desire prayer, we have a, a prayer request on our homepage at albanync.org. You can type something in there. You can type something in the chat box. We'd love to hear from you. But as we go into our week, let's make a commitment to see God in the midst of everything that we face. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Let's go out. Let's be the neighborhood. Have a wonderful week.